Hello, we're Muckal LLP, a highly successful full-service commercial law firm based in Newcastle-upon-Tyne in the north of England. We support businesses, organisations and individuals all over the UK and beyond. And with this podcast series, we share business insight and practical tips to help you with the full spectrum of commercial law. everybody welcome to the latest in our podcast series this time we're talking about brexit and gdpr my name's sam roberts i'm a solicitor in the data protection and commercial team and today i'm going to be talking to alex craig who is a partner and is the head of the commercial and data protection team hi alex hi sam so before we get into the detail of what we're going to speak about today would you be able to just provide us with a little bit of background to the current data protection regime Yep, absolutely. So for anyone who's not familiar with data protection, we've had a couple of years of getting used to a new regime. So essentially, in 2018, we had the implementation of the general data protection regulation from Europe. It's a regulation, so it has direct effect in UK law automatically applies in the UK until the end of the transition period. And Um, As I say, we've been getting used to that new regime, which was brought in to try and harmonise the data protection legislation across Europe. But obviously, we're now heading towards the end of the transition period and uh, people need to understand what the position is going to be under the data protection regime after the end of that period of time. So great, Alex, what does that mean in terms of the UK exit from the European Union? The big question on everyone's lips at the moment is whether the UK will receive an adequacy decision in time for the end of that transition period at the end of December. What's the position on that? Yes, um, that's exactly right, Sam. So in terms of exit from the EU, obviously, as I said before, we've got this piece of legislation which is directly effective in the UK regime. After the end of the transition period, it um, will form part of UK law under the European Union Withdrawal Act 2018, but there'll be some adjustments to make sure it actually works effectively in the UK context. So that's the the first thing to understand. Um, Alongside the General Data Protection Regulation, we've also got something called the Data Protection Act 2018, which is sort of supplementary to the GDPR and allows for um, clarifications in some areas from the member state, essentially, and that will remain in place as well. So as I say, we've got GDPR, it'll become part of UK law, and we've got the Data Protection Act 2018. But in terms of, um, as you say, this, this whole debate around adequacy, just to put it in context, because the UK will become a third country, so at the moment we are a member state of the the European Union and we're part of the EEA specifically which is relevant to data protection because that will no longer be the case we will be a third country and therefore data that is, personal data that is that is transferred from um, an EEA country into the UK will have to um, be legitimized which means that much as at the moment 
when you're transferring personal data from the UK outside of the EEA, you have to legitimise that transfer, which means you need to ensure that the country to which you are transferring the data has um, the same or equivalent adequate protections in place to look after that data. So you need to have a basis on which you are um, comfortable that, that that transfer can proceed. Because we'll be outside of the EEA, then that that exercise needs to be undertaken in relation to the transfer to the UK, which is um, a really quite alien concept at the moment, because of course we've been involved with the EU for so long. Mm -hmm. um, and one of the ways of achieving that is to be given an adequacy decision from the EU, which means that there's a recognition that the UK has adequate protections in place and it means that you don't, um, as a controller, need to do anything else in order to safeguard or legitimise that transfer of data into the UK. At the moment, we haven't got sight of that adequacy decision, unfortunately, and we don't know that we're going to have that by the end of the transition period, which, remember, is just at this stage of um, at this point in time when this recording is taking place a month away um, and therefore as an organisation getting ready for exit you can't really rely on that adequacy decision being in place. It's really helpful and it's, it's quite difficult as well um, there's no deal agreed as of yet although we've, there's still a little bit of time left and um, so in light of everything you've just said and in light of the fact that there's no deal yet agreed what's the current advice in terms of you know trying to prepare your organization at this stage sure um yeah so because we haven't got this comfort of, of this adequacy decision and of course we are all involved um, with organisations who are flowing personal data at the moment quite happily uh, between Europe and the UK, anybody who's responsible for data flow in their organisation needs to have a really good look at that data flow and see if there's any data that needs to come from the EA across the UK and sort out basically um, on what basis they're going to be able to achieve that if there's no adequacy decision after the end of December. So at the moment, um, in terms of the preparatory steps that the ICO, the regulator, is suggesting, um, if you're in that position and you're having to look at all of that data flows, is absolutely, you need to understand your data flow, as I've said. You need to continue your compliance. Hopefully you're, you are compliant already, but you need to continue your compliance with GDPR and the Data Protection Act 2018. Um, and you need to review your documentation. So you might have in place some privacy notices and privacy policies in place that might refer to EU legislation, for example. You need to get those updated because that's not going to be correct anymore. And you need to make sure that um, individuals, key stakeholders in your organization understand what's happening and what they might need to be aware of and um, what steps might need to be taken and it may be depending on your organization that you know i need to do some training um, unfortunately it's it's very much the sort of the high level steps that you can take but it's very organization per organization as to what you 
actually might need to do practically, but they're the high level recommended steps you should be doing now. Great. So in conjunction with that, presumably any actions that the organisations may need to take to ensure that that data flow can continue to, to do so um, will just depend on the kind of data it processes as well. Yeah, that's that's absolutely right. So there's essentially or there are essentially four different scenarios here that you, you might find yourself in in relation to your organisation. So you could be um, possibly lucky, you might say, if you're an organisation who's UK based and doesn't have any contacts with customers in Europe, because then if that's you, then all you really need to do is ensure continued compliance um, and review your documentation, as I said before, and that's all you would have to do. But of course, there are variations on that. And, and as soon as you start getting into um, data flow with Europe, then it becomes more complicated. So if you're a UK business that sends or receives data to or from Europe, then again, you need to be looking at uh, compliance and you need to be reviewing that data flow. Um, you need to understand that the UK government has currently said that transfers of data to the EEA will not be restricted. So you don't need to worry about that. But if uh, a business or organisation is sending you personal data from the EEA, then you need to still comply with the EU data protection laws, uh, laws and you need to ensure that data can flow. So you need to put the adequate safeguards I talked about before in place and most likely the most relevant one to you is going to be what's referred to as standard contractual clauses which are um, European approved pre-agreed contractual clauses that legitimize a transfer of um, data uh, between organizations in certain circumstances you may however be uh, a UK business or organisation with a European presence in which case again you've got a bit more to think about so again compliance, um, reviewing data flow and understanding the position uh, that the UK has taken in terms of um, its position with transfer of data from the UK to the EEA but if you have offices, branches or other establishments in the EEA, um, you're going to be covered by EU law after Brexit and you need to check which European data protection regulator will be your lead supervisory authority, first of all, because, of course, those activities will not be governed by the ICO, which is the UK regulator anymore. So you will find yourself with two regulators um, and um, you're still you're basically going to have this kind of dual compliance um, situation that you need you need to have a look at. So you may also need to appoint a suitable representative in the EEA to act as your kind of local contact point between individuals and the European Data Protection Authority. Now, this is a new concept. Um, we've certainly not had to deal with it particularly as yet, but um, I don't think there are very many of these providers. So this is going to be possibly quite challenging for organisations. Um, if you're a public authority, you won't need to appoint a representative in certain circumstances. But in any event, if you are within this category, 
um, and need to look into this further, then you need to have a look at the European Data Protection Board guidance on appointing a representative and that should help you um, work your way through that process. Otherwise, um, the fourth category is you might be an organisation that send or receive data um, from countries outside of Europe, in which case, um, as I said before, it's that whole legitimisation piece. So it's no different from now, really. Um, you, you will need to be looking at appropriate safeguards. It may be that it is standard contractual clauses. It may be that it's one of the other um, safeguards allowed under the GDPR, but um, you definitely need to be having a look at that and again complying with GDPR as you are at present. Great, thank you. It's a lot to think about. Um, it, you is. Briefly, it is, yeah. You briefly mentioned just then um, appropriate safeguards and you mentioned standard contractual clauses, but what are the appropriate safeguards? Would you be able to tell us a little bit more about those? Yes, yeah, sure. So um, there are there are several sort of appropriate safeguards that are referenced. We've got um, standard contractual clauses, which I've talked about. They are, um, again, just to add, Sam, to the complexity of the situation. Um, and I do feel for anybody who's got the task of dealing with this in an organisation at the moment, um, they are also the cause of some discussion at the moment because the current standard contractual clauses that have been approved relate to the pre-GDPR legislation so they're out of date. There's a new draft set in circulation for consultation. We don't know whether they're going to be in force uh, by the end of the transition period or not so we've got that ambiguity sitting there. Um, and they were called into question because of the Schrems decision earlier this year, which I'm not going to talk about in any detail now, but that was essentially the court case which um, related to the breakdown of the privacy shield, which was the one of the methods for legitimising transfer of personal data between the EU and the US. Anyway, that decision has also called into question the standard contractual clauses, so there are also some supplementary measures that are being discussed to sit alongside those. So that's one of the uh, adequate safeguards. There are also what's called binding corporate rules, which um, essentially are rules which are approved within an organisation. They're usually used by multinationals, essentially, um, which allow safe transfer of data within the organisation, um, but they have to be approved by a supervisory authority. And if you are one of the organisations that's got existing binding corporate rules, then, and you, you haven't done anything about reviewing those yet, you really do need to get on and look at the ICO guidance on that point, because of course, if they are EU binding corporate rules, then um, you're potentially in a situation where they might not be valid after exit. So. It is one of the alternative safeguards, but, but you, first of all, might need to have a conversation with the ICO if you want to put some new ones in place, because they will have to satisfy the new regime. Um, and if you've got existing ones, you might need to speak to the ICO, um, because depending on how they were originally authorised, they might need revisiting. Um, and then there are there are other options available to you. So there are some um, other 
exceptional situations where you might be able to rely on consent or contract or public interest, uh, vital interests of an individual, for example, but you would very much need to um, look at it on a case by case basis. Great. So there's a there's a lot of a lot of things for organisations out there to think about and appreciate we can't go into too much detail on this podcast today, but, but where can organisations look for information on this to find out a little bit more? Sure. And it's absolutely really it's really difficult to summarise all of this really complicated legislative um stuff into a really short podcast so i think the key thing from today is to give people some signposting as to where to look as you say so uh, my recommendation is that you have a look at the ico website um, in the section on the home page for organizations it there's a specific link to um what to do in preparation for the tran transition period and it coming to an end. You need to click through into there and there are various FAQs to help organisations which um, sort of give you a checklist as to what to do. Um, and there's also uh, a new interactive toolkit available on the ICO website. If you are looking at those standard contractual clauses and are thinking, I don't really know where to start with that, there's actually a toolkit in order for you to basically build your own contract incorporating them or just use the template. So I think that's quite helpful uh, for organizations. There's also links on the site to the European Data Protection Board um, information. Uh, you can have a look on the European Data Protection Board website for, um, as I say, guidance around things like binding corporate rules, for example, and the ICO's got a section on their website about those. So there's that's the first place to look, I would say, and then you'll gradually be able to work through what's applicable to your organisation. But um, if anyone's stuck or just needs a pointer, then by all means, give us a call because uh, it is a bit of a headache. Sounds it, but it does sound as though there's a lot of um, people out there, organisations trying to help um, looking at the ICO website, like you say, first place to start. And then, you know, you can always get in contact with us if you need any more information and everybody's in this together, essentially, um, yeah, which absolutely. it sounds like. Um, so, no, that's great. Thank you so much, Alex. That's been super helpful. Really, really interesting. And I hope that everybody listening has uh, taken something away from that today. Um, so thanks a lot for that. And if you you look out for more podcasts in the series we do regularly post so please do take a listen at any of the other podcasts that we do have available out there thanks Sam um...